Well, good morning. I hope each of you is having a good morning and that you had a great Christmas morning yesterday. Um, Hopefully your Christmas was beautiful and there's so much beauty to Christmas. You look at the beautiful lights, the, as the song goes, the pretty paper, pretty ribbon, something else I guess is pretty, but there's lots of pretty things on Christmas. But maybe, just maybe your Christmas wasn't so beautiful. Maybe your tree ended up looking a little bit like this right up here, right? The Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Maybe you were like my family and, and Mary got, got, got sick on Thursday, or I guess Wednesday, and didn't get to go down to my folks' uh, house this, this weekend for Christmas. That's sad. Maybe your Christmas wasn't everything you hoped and dreamed it was. Hopefully it was a great Christmas, but maybe it wasn't great. And as I was uh, thinking about this lesson, early this week I read a Facebook quote from one of my uh, former youth group students. She's graduated from college and this is her first Christmas as a full-fledged adult. And this was her Facebook quote. Steve, you put it on there. It says, The change from being a child to an adult at Christmas time is really hard. Everything feels different. And it, beca- and it becomes a lot more stressful trying to make everyone happy and get gifts for everyone. I wish I was nine years old coming down the steps to Christmas morning blaring to Christmas music blaring, bells ringing, and my parents yelling, Santa came. Can a lot of us relate to that? I think as, as you get older and you have kids, then it gets to be something, something different. But as you move from kid to an adult, Christmas changes, right? Sometimes it's not as magical as you might have remembered growing up. Sometimes Christmas just doesn't live up to what you were hoping. And hopefully that wasn't the case with with some of you, but that happens to be the case with a lot of folks in this world. There's a lot of people that get depressed around Christmas time. There's a lot of people that struggle around this time because they think of loved ones that they've lost. Christmas sometimes isn't as beautiful as we think it might be. Sometimes Christmas is a little bit filthy, a little bit, bit yucky. I remember when I grew up uh, going, uh, we, had, we had a wonderful uh, Christmas. We would go to my, my father's uh, folks' house, and we would spend Christmas Eve there. And the first thing we did as we came home is we all had to go take showers. Why? Because uh, that was a smoke-filled house at, my, at my, my, my father's parents' house. And so we didn't want the, my parents didn't want us to, to go to sleep smelling smoke-filled, so... We, uh, we took, we took a, a bath because Christmas wasn't so clean, I guess. And when we think of the Christmas story, so often we picture uh, the beautiful manger scene, right? It's such a wonderful, beautiful picture of, of a mother and a husband and their newborn baby. And it just looks beautiful. But is that really what happened 
on Christ's nativity. If you look at the story of of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. So this time, this first, this first uh, Christmas, the, the nativity of Jesus, what's going on? There is, a, there is a census that is being taken for the entire Roman world. Why did the Caesar want to know how many people were in his empire? Well, in some ways, he wanted to uh, bolster his, his, his fame and say, look at all these people I control. But the biggest issue was he wanted to know how much, how many people were there so he could tax them. He wanted to make sure he knew who was where so he could tax them and get their money. And so when he's doing this, people are going to their hometown to register because they're having to do it. The government's making them do it. And what do people feel about that? They're not happy about that at all. People don't want to go, have to travel to their hometown just so they can register so that this foreign government that's taken you over can take your money from you. And this made it to where it wasn't just people were upset People were violent. And during this time, several violent protests broke out. This was a very volatile day and time period filled with civil unrest. And what's going on is Joseph is going to his hometown of Bethlehem. And he's taken his wife with him. And these are not the most ideal situations because his wife is pregnant and in her late months of pregnancy and he's taking this very pregnant woman down to travel at least four day travel and they didn't have nice comfortable cars they're walking or riding on a donkey's back and when I think about time with a woman that's about to have a child. I think of my own Mary that we grew up, that, that, that we, we uh, when she was pregnant with Dane, we worked together in Dallas. And every day at lunch, we would go to this place called the Plaza of the Americas. And it was a, it was a walk probably about two blocks. You didn't have to walk outside. There was this nice sky bridge that we would walk up and then we'd walk down into the plaza and we could go and get our, get our, uh, lunch and every time we sat down in the chairs I remember Mary just (sighs) blows a nice little exhale all into my face and I didn't complain about it because I knew she was probably dealing with a little bit more (laughs) but I heard someone at that time say that about to have a having a child is the same as walking up a mountain every day. It takes so much energy, takes so much out of you. And you think about this is the conditions that are happening of Mary, the mother of Jesus, going down to Bethlehem. Not the most ideal conditions. In a land where there's civil unrest. So that you could register to make sure that you had 
you were counted to pay money to the government. Not the most ideal situation. In verse 4 of chapter 2, it says, So Joseph went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So you're already at a place where you probably don't want to be going. The conditions aren't great. You finally get to where you need to be. And there is no place available for you. For a woman that's nine months pregnant, there's no place available. No one's willing to take her in. No one's willing to give her the comforts that anyone should give someone in that condition. All there was was a barn available to them. And we look at that story and last week we talked about the angel Gabriel telling Mary about this wonderful son that she was about to be given. Gabriel said in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is what was promised to Mary for her to give birth to the Son of God, to the King. His reign will never end. And yet, things aren't really living up to what she was promised at the time. No one will even welcome the Son of God, the King, in their home, in an inn. There's no room for Jesus in this world. And so we think about that and we think about how maybe it wasn't such a beautiful sight Maybe it was not the most ideal condition. What's going on here? What is going on in this world? We have this promise of the Son of God. We have this promise of this great King that will reign forever. And things aren't living up to what we hoped, what we imagined. And then all of a sudden people start piling into this barn. A bunch of smelly shepherds come into this room. Wouldn't seem like that would be the first thing that Mary would want. And then this, as the song goes, a little boy comes and starts pa-rum-pum-pum-pumming on his drum in the middle. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. The ideal conditions are not there. And yet, at the same time as this is happening, our Lord comes and starts talking to these, these shepherds in the field. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, 
It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The one that they've been waiting for is now come. Maybe the conditions weren't what they thought they might be. But the Savior has come. And we've got to understand what this means for a Savior to have come to this earth. Basically what has happened is everything in this world that was before Jesus Christ was on a path to destruction. And now there's a light, a path to eternal life. This is so great that we, we might not be able to comprehend it because we live in the world where we have a Savior. We don't even realize that our calendar has been cut in two. For everything before the Savior that has come in B.C., before Christ, right? To everything that is after the Savior came. A.D., the day of our Lord, right? Right? Everything's changed in this world and we need to grasp how incredible that is. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was His plan from the beginning of time to show us His grace through Jesus Christ. And now He has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. What we have to realize is we couldn't have done it without Jesus. There was a law that, that people were trying to follow and even the most righteous of people that were trying to follow this law would break it. And because they broke that law, they couldn't stand before a perfect God because they were imperfect. People would try over and over and over again to live up to God's standards and they just couldn't do it. And because of that, they were on a path of destruction. But that's not what God wanted. God never wanted us to be on this path of destruction. God wanted us to be with Him. And so in His grace, in His mercy, before we ever came to this world, He knew He had a plan to save us. Not because we deserved it, as it says. Because it was His plan from the beginning of time. And that's why He sends us a Savior. And when we truly grasp that He sent us a Savior when we truly grasp how much our Lord loves us, what does it say? It calls us to live a holy life in Him. If you see the blessings in this messy world, in this world that might not look how we 100% hope it will look, because we go through troubles, we go through trials, 
We go through struggles. Sometimes we forget to look at all the blessings that we have. And so when we see the blessings that Christ has given us, see the blessings and know that we're saved in Him, see that we can live a life one day with our God, without pain, without sorrow, without tears, and see how much our God loves us despite this messy world that we're temporarily in, we'll want to live holy lives. We'll want to live pleasing lives to our God. I think about Christmas time whenever I worked in Dallas and, and I, I worked in a department of about, it was me and about 12 women in that, in that group. And I'm sure I've told you all this story before, but every Christmas what happened was, was all the women in, in that department would give out Christmas gifts to all their, their employees or all, all their co-workers I don't know, I never really grew up giving Christmas gifts to co-workers or too much. It seemed a little bit odd, but every time that happened for the six years I was there, I'd feel bad because why was I not reciprocating the gifts given to me? That didn't make sense. The love that was shown to me, why wouldn't I give that? And so eventually, towards the end, I start realizing I need to be loving back to them. Maybe it wasn't my thing. To give gifts around Christmas time to co-workers. Maybe I'm the bad guy. That's alright to, to learn that. To understand that. But it made me want to be better. Be kinder to them. And that's whenever we understand that what God has given us. It, wants us to, it makes us want to live holy lives. To show Him love the way He's shown us His love. The beautiful thing about Jesus coming. In this messy world, Jesus Christ, as it says, illuminates the way to life. He illuminates the way to immortality through the good news. He gives us this light, this lit path where we can see how we're supposed to live, where we can see where we're going. And yet in a messy world, we start seeing troubles ahead sometimes. And sometimes we decide to veer off the lit path that our Lord gave us. We look at what the world tells us, and I, I think about any time I've veered off the path, when I've literally veered off the path that was paved before me. I remember when we were living in Wiley, and there was this road called Atlanta Street that was in our neighborhood. And Atlanta Street should have made it all the way to the highway to easily leave our neighborhood and go straight out to where I needed to go. But the problem was Atlanta Street would go almost there and then it would stop. And then there was just this muddy dirt road for about 200 yards, and then it would pick up to be a road again. And one day I decided, I don't want to drive through town. I don't want to spend three needless minutes. And so I veered off the path. Instead of driving through town, I decided to drive straight through Atlanta Street. And I was in my little Toyota Corolla. And as I go down there, I see that it ends, but I can see a path. And I decided I'm going to go off the path 
off the paved road into the muddy road. And what do you know if my car just doesn't get buried right there in the mud? And I have to go, and I, I, I see there was, there was a man, he had, he had all these dump trucks and heavy, heavy machinery, heavy equipment. And I, had, I paid him 50 bucks to pull me out of the mud. What I wanted to save me three minutes cost me $50 in about an hour's worth of time and a whole bunch of mud on my clothing. So often we get nervous about this messy world and we veer off of the path that our God's given us. Because sometimes we look and we realize following the path is hard. Our God calls so much of us. He calls us to deny ourselves. Deny ourselves from the lustful pleasures of this world. He calls for us to put others before ourselves. He calls for us to put Him as the Lord of our life and to reject the way the world is telling us to live, but to live how He wants us to live. And so often we tell ourselves a lie that going off the path is the easier way. And yet, when we go off the path, we find ourselves stuck in the mud. We find ourselves struggling in this world. And this isn't a new thing. This has happened over and over and over again in life. And that's what the Scriptures tell us. The Scriptures tell us of how over and over and over again, God's people have veered off the path, have chosen not to walk the illuminated way, even though God has done so many great things for us. If we remember the greatest of, of stories, the stories that the Jewish people would tell over and over and over again, it's how they escaped slavery. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 29, it talks about how the Israelites were running from the Egyptians. They were slaves to the Egyptians. And they're running from them, but the Egyptians were bearing down on them. And then they get cornered between an army of Egyptians and the Red Sea. And so it says, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant." They saw God save them. They saw a miraculous salvation from being enslaved by the Egyptians. And so often we're like that is when we realize that we've been saved by our God. We've been saved by sin. We've been saved by being slaves to sin and death. And what happens? A lot of times when we see that, we're happy, we're excited, we love what our God's done, and then time goes on. And since we still are in this world, since we're still wandering, wait, waiting to get to the promised land, we start to grumble 
about the struggles that we go through. And that's what happens with the Israelites as they're wandering, ready to go to the promised land that God has, has saved them for. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 2, it says, In the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. As they're going to the promised land, as they're making their way in this world, they start to get hungry. And instead of looking up to the Lord to provide for them, they start wishing to go back to this old way of life. A place where they were slaves. A place where they were beaten. How could we want to go back? So often we allow this world to lie to us. Like there's a better way. But if we went and looked to the Lord when we're going through tough times, what would we see? It says in verse 11, The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumblings of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, you will eat meat. In the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know I am Lord God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew on, in the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes of, like frost on the ground appeared and the, on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw this, they said to each other, What is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. What we see is when we're struggling, when we're on our way to the promised land, our Lord still sees our struggles. He sees when we're going through tough times and He's going to provide for us. That's what He shows the Israelites. He's, he's, he understands that they're going through this time, but He wants them to know that He's there. He's helping them. He's going to be with them. And that should be our reaction. To realize that the Lord sees us when things aren't as perfect as we thought they might be. The Lord will send relief when we're struggling. And maybe that relief comes in the Spirit's comfort to us. That helps us get through just a little bit more time. Until we see the dark clouds scatter. And see the light come again. Maybe that relief comes from our brothers and sisters in Christ that offer a shoulder to lean on that offer help, that offer assistance. We've got to realize that we're making our way to the promised land. We're making our way to the kingdom, and we have a Savior that's been given to us. A Savior that makes it to where we will get to be with our God forever one day. In a place where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. But our Lord also lets us know there will be troubles in this world. Jesus tells us, there will be, you will have trouble in this world, but I have overcome the world. 
Even Mary was told she was going to have trouble as they're taking Jesus in to uh, be dedicated at the temple. They see a righteous man. A righteous man named Simeon that's been waiting to see the Messiah. And he tells Mary in Luke chapter 2 verse 34. This child is destined to cause the fall and rising, falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This prophecy from Simeon is telling Mary she is going to struggle. It's, it would be hard enough to, to uh, raise the Son of God, but to raise the Son of God knowing that you're going to have to endure watching Him face the cruelest of deaths. This truly was going to pierce Mary's soul. It was going to hurt but it's through His wounds we are healed. His wounds bring our salvation. And I think Jesus wants us to understand that we're going to go through tough times. It might not always be as beautiful as we make things out to be. We want the Christmas story, we want our salvation story to be a fairy tale where everything just seems perfect. And indeed, so much of it is. It is a beautiful story. And our salvation is beautiful, but we're still walking to the promised land. We're still struggling as we go making, or as we're making our journey there. I remember I did wilderness trek with youth groups several years ago. And walking up a mountain is difficult. I have a buddy who uh, does an outdoor, um, outdoor YouTube channel. He's a hiker. He likes to go doing all sorts of hiking. And, and the other day he had a, uh, a video that talked about how climbing a mountain is 90% mental. He says as he's walking up a steep mountain, he just tells himself, I just count. I count a hundred steps. And I tell myself, if I can just get a hundred steps, then I can stop and I can look and I can see all of God's beauty. And then I just got to make another hundred steps. And another hundred steps. And eventually, I'll get on that mountaintop. And that story is so true. So much of this world is mental, just making it through, getting a little bit further. But when times get tough, we, re we need to reach out to our God because our God sees us, our God loves us. And our God has broken the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news of Jesus Christ. The worst thing that can happen to us on this earth is we'll die. And that sounds tough. But just as Jesus was raised from the dead, 
those of us that have been baptized into his name will also be able to be raised with him. And we'll get to live with him forever. And so it doesn't end in this world. Our God gives us this illuminated path. He's broken the power of death. He shows us a way. And the path will make our life better. I guarantee if you walk that path in the light, you'll be a better person. You'll be a better spouse. You'll be a better mother, a better father, a better friend, a better worker. You'll be a better neighbor when you walk the path in the light. You'll have a more rich and satisfying life. And our reward at the end, it's with Him forever. It's an eternity with Him. And I'm excited to live that eternity with Him. I'm excited to live that eternity with you. And I hope each of you, as we're going through this messy path, as we're venturing on our way to the promised land, we'll look to God, not just for our salvation, but for our help as we go throughout that. If you need to be baptized into Christ, if you want to make Him Lord of your life, you can do that today. Or... If you need the prayers of the church as we struggle in this tough world, we can pray for you. You can lean on us. and We'll be there for you. If you have any need, please come while we stand and sing.